on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Are we going to preach in the dark, Tanya? We're just going to preach in the dark. We got it. I told you, man, the church falls apart. We can turn those down a little bit if possible. Barry, if you could kill these monitors, that'd be great. That one's buzzing like crazy. The whole church falls. Listen, pastor can miss church. Phil can miss church. The sound guy can miss church. The kids area people can miss church. But if Xander misses church, he's been with me since he was like 13 years old. He's the only one that knows how to work any technology around here. The other day, the internet was not even working. I call him, and within two seconds, he's here in the building, and he's got this photograph of him, and he, he can remember everything back there. To the right is three buttons. Click on this and click on that. And I'm like, how do you know all that stuff? I told all the girls in our church when Xander was in high school, I said, listen, the smartest thing you can ever do is date Xander. Because one day he's going to be a multi, multi-millionaire. And man, you're going to be set for life. None of them listen, and I guess they all wish they would have. Hey, what if I told you, though, that even though you're not a Xander, what if I told you that God left you here for one single purpose, and that purpose is to make a difference in this world? God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mess-ups. God created you, and he formed you with a plan and with a purpose One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bibles in Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in your mother's womb and I formed you. I created you. I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. Before you ever took your first breath on this side of the earth, God knew you, he formed you, and he had a plan for your life. And the reason we're here is to make a difference in the world. We're starting a new series called Difference Maker. We're talking about how we're left here and how our actions and how what we do, whether it's being a husband or being a father or attending church or what we do with our finances or what we do with any aspect of our life, all should be through the lens of we're left here to make a difference. We're here to make an impact. At the end of your life, you're not going to worry about how many hours you worked. You're not going to worry about how many toys you have. You're not going to worry about how much money you made. What you're going to worry about is did you make a difference in this earth? Did you make a difference to your children? Did you make a difference to the people who come in contact with? Did you leave this earth a better place than it was when you got here? The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, Leaving you an example, check out that last part. It says, you should also follow in his footsteps. It says, for this you were called. Make no mistake about it today. God called you for a purpose. God formed you for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. And not only did he do that, he left us an example in Jesus that we should follow in his footsteps. It's one of the reasons you very rarely hear me use the word Christian. I think if there's any word that has been twisted, manipulated, come with a stigma, and is so far from what the Bible says we should be, it's the word Christian. But you hear me often use the word Christ follower. We're to follow in the steps of Christ. 
He lived on this earth for 33 years. He dealt with the same temptations, the same struggles, the same issues, the same emotional issues, mental issues, everything that you and I go through. He made himself man where he could know us and know us in an intimate way. And he led by example in how we're to live. The Bible says we're to follow in his footsteps. Think about that for a second. You and I, the person next to you, it doesn't matter uh, your social standing. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your sexual preference. It doesn't matter any of the rules and the regulations that we as a society put on people. It doesn't matter about your hurts, your habits, or your hang-ups. Every single one of us are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He is our example let, let me say that again. I said, he is our example. Not, not the Baptist denomination is our example. Not the Methodist denomination is our example. Not whatever religion and whatever rules, hey, with all due respect to granny, whatever Bible granny shoved down your throat is not our example. Jesus is our example. I am not your example. That's good news for you today. So many people put the pastor up on some weird pedestal and expect him to be flawless and never mess up. And then they're shocked when he messes up. But the problem was you made him your example. Jesus is our example. And I think there's no greater example of this found that shows the heart of Jesus as they're in in John 13. I love the scripture found in John 13. I love this chapter. Every time I read this chapter, it humbles me. And it messes with me. And it reminds me that even though in this setting I'm the leader of this crazy island of misfit toys, it reminds me of how I'm to go about leading. In the book of John, right about chapter 13, I want to read a couple of scriptures to you today. We'll go back, we'll jump around. I, I love this moment in the life of Christ. He's with his disciples. He, he's with the people that he's doing life with. He's with his tribe. There's nothing more powerful than your tribe of people. The people that you know will be there for you no matter what. The people you know that will walk with you in the good times and the bad times. There's just power in community. And here he is, Jesus, with his, his tribe, if you will. And it's a very significant time in his life. There's some things that are getting ready to happen, happen after this, the crucifixion of Christ, that would literally change the world. It, it's, a, it's a significant time because Jesus knows his days are numbered. Have you ever met somebody, there's different kinds of death. There's a death that comes out of nowhere. But then there's a death where someone tells you, man, you have 14 days to live. You have three months to live. Have you ever met someone who's went through that period in their life? It, it's amazing how what they spend their time on, what they spend their focus on, knowing their days are numbered. They, they spend their time on what's significant to them. They spend their time making memories. They spend their time making amends. They, they spend their time knowing that time is limited. And that's where Jesus is here. He knows his days on earth are numbered. And yet he takes time out to give us this example because he's giving us example to follow and being a difference maker. And he's about to throw us for a loop on how you become a difference maker. So many of us think a difference maker means you have to be the alpha. 
So many people think being a difference maker thinks you have to be the leader. It thinks you have to be in charge. But he's about to flip the script. The Bible says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So it said, hey, he had these people around him and he knew that his days with them were numbered. This was his tribe and he was loving them to the end. And the evening meal was in progress. He knew that he needed to set an example for those that were there with him. So, so picture it's right before the Passover feast. He knew that his time had come. Um, the Bible says having loved his own, what, what that meant was he had showed his full extent of love to these people. He wanted them to be no doubt in their minds that he loved them. That he didn't love them with half of who he was. He loved them with all of who he was. The word literally means he showed the full range of his love. And he's about to take his last moments with these disciples and give them an example that flips the script, if you will, on what it means to lead. It says the evening meal was being served. We'll jump down. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. The evening meal is being served. And in the middle of the meal being served, Jesus gets up from the meal. He takes out his outer coat, takes off his outer coat. He wraps it around his waist. He notices that the disciples' feet are dirty. You have to understand the significance of this. So they would travel everywhere. They were sandals. There was dirt roads. When they would arrive to a house, their feet were Beyond dirty, you can imagine. You look down at your shoes after you've been outside all day and you see how dirty your shoes become. And that's what they're feeling. So it was customary when you entered into a house, the servant, don't miss this, the servant, the lowest man by social standing terms, would get on his knees, dip a towel into a water basin, and wash the feet of all the guests that were in the house. Where they would sit down and eat, and they would sit down and eat with clean feet. Their, clean, their feet were sore. They were dirty. They were nasty. They were aching. There, there, there was no car to drive to the next location. They would walk miles upon miles every day. And Jesus gets up and notices that the feet of the disciples have not been washed that night. Now, he doesn't do what you and I would have done, because I don't know about you. I'm just wired this way. I'd have probably went to the host and said, hey, I think the servant forgot to wash everybody's feet. As customary, I would have probably thought of a nice way to remind them that, hey, my feet are nappy. And if you rolled up in my house, my servant's going to take care of you. But your servant didn't take care of us. But instead, Jesus gets up, takes a jug of water, and he pours it into a basin. He gets down. Now, don't forget, this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the leader of all the disciples, the one who came to take away the sins of the world, and he gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. <laughs> the disciples begin to object, especially Peter. No, 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 because they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed that they didn't think about doing that. They're embarrassed that it wasn't their first thought to serve. They've been showed up by the humility and the love and the servanthood of Jesus. And Peter begins to object. And Jesus basically tells him, you don't realize what I'm doing. I'm leaving you as an example. He said, but you'll understand. 
Peter's like, you'll never, never wash my feet. I'm too proud for that. You'll never wash my feet. No, no. (laughs) Peter couldn't understand how Jesus, the leader, could take this position. (laughs) It, It dawned on him. It just didn't seem right. He said, you can't do that. I'm not going to let you do that. And Jesus said, but unless you let me do this, you have no part of me. That's a powerful verse because what he says is, later on you're going to follow my example. And if you don't allow me to do this, how can you do this for somebody else? It dawns on Peter and says, watch both of them then. Lead the example. In the moment he swallows his pride, he swallows being uncomfortable. And he soaks in the servant leadership of Jesus. The Bible says when he finished washing their feet, it says this, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He looks at him because everything Jesus did when he was the pimp, he always was a teaching moment. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. I, I like that. Because what he said is, you call me the leader, and rightfully so. Jesus made no bones about the fact that he was the leader. He was making no bones about the fact that he was in charge. He was making no bones about the fact that he led this tribe of people. I always say, if you've got to say you're the leader, you're not the leader. No, no, sometimes you've got to remind people who the leader is. That's called leadership. You know who says, if you've got to remind people you're the leader, you're not the leader? The people that say that are people who aren't the leader. And they're the ones that need reminding who the leader is sometimes. It's funny around here. There's occasionally times I have to remind people I'm the leader around here and they always get their panties in a wad. I don't. We've had people leave over it. He's getting too big for his britches. No, 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 I wasn't getting too big for my britches. I'm just reminding you who's in charge sometimes because sometimes we forget. Because at the end of the day, I'm responsible for what happens around here. If this place closes down tomorrow or it does something that is not proper, guess what? You have to find another church. I have to answer for all that. Much is given, much is required. Trust me, I don't mean this in an arrogant way. You don't want that responsibility. Everybody wants to be the leader until the leader has to be here at 2 o'clock to bury a 38-year-old girl who's been with him for 16 years. So you have to go to the hospital and look at a husband who's been with her since she was 14 and say, man, she's not going to make it. You don't want to walk in these flip-flops. Jesus reminds him, he's the leader. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so. That's what I am. True leaders don't shy away from being the leader. He said, now that I, Lord, you're a teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. He, he said, I am the leader, but I'm willing to humble myself and do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, even if it means I get on my knees and wash your feet. Now, you should do the same. He's saying, if I'm not too good to do it, you're not too good to do it. He said, I'm sending you out. He said, you don't realize I'm about to die on a cross, raised from the dead, and return to heaven. And when I do that, I'm going to leave you here to carry out the mission. And the way you carry out the mission is by serving people. 
The church has forgot that responsibility. The church has forgot that we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus and get dirty every now and then. We think it's about big buildings and great performances and how much money can come in and how cool the pastor can look and how much technology we can buy. No, 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 no. And I'm not against any of that stuff, but the church is here. To, oh. <laughs> the church is here to do what so many of you depend on the government to do. If the church was doing its job, nobody would be hungry. If the church was doing its job, there'd be no orphans. If the church was doing its job, the widows wouldn't worry about where the next round of paychecks are coming from. It's the church's job to meet the needs. The problem is the church won't meet the needs, and so the government has stepped in to do it. When you gripe about the government, you should really be griping about the church and you should be evaluating, are you doing what you should be doing to make your church reach the community? That was free today, by the way. That wasn't even part of the sermon. He said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Man, verse 16, I hate these kind of verses sometimes. He said, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17 is the clincher. Now that you know these things, I, I, like, I like that Jesus clarifies that. He said, I'm not mad at you. He goes, you didn't know these things. But now you do. It's hard to get on to your kids when you haven't told them the expectations. I just assume they should know, well, you're wrong. We had an instance on the bus with Luke this year where Luke might have dropped a certain cuss word to a kid on the bus. He said, well, he should just know. Now, how's he going to know? He's got a foul mouth mama. How's he going to know? I try to be godly in front of him and never use profanity and pray over him and do all the things a good dad should do. But, if, you know, the boys always are drawn to the mama and her example. That's why they're called mama's boys. So how can I get mad at him? You say you punish him? No. But you know what we did do? We set him down. And we explained to him, because I'm not really that, I don't think cussing is the end of the world, in case you didn't know. I, 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 but I also had to explain to him how some other people are offended by and there's certain words you can't say. You can't call a kid a certain word and you can't do that. And then we looked at him and said, now you know. So the next time it happens, 10 days later if I recall, there was consequences for his actions. Jesus is saying, you didn't know. Can you put that last verse back? I don't know who's running the, the thing back there. Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, what things? That as the leader, we're to be servants. Now that you know when we see a need, we're to meet a need. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, we see the word blessing immediately think of financial blessing, and I do believe there's financial blessing, but that's not what this is talking about in this context. It's talking about overall, you'll be blessed. You'll be fulfilled. You'll have purpose. 
You'll have passion. He said, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. So I'm not a theologian, and I don't play one on Sunday, but I think it's safe to say, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. It's safe to say, if you don't do these things, you won't be blessed. What things, Gary? Serving. Being a servant to other people. How many of you enjoyed the sermon so far? Just curious, I've never asked that question. Good, because you're about to not enjoy it. So let me tell you, if you're new here to Action Church, how we normally operate. Everything that we do is for what we call outsiders. Those who don't attend our church. Except normally, and it's a rare summer here, it looks like it's going to be an interesting summer. Summer normally becomes an insider time because a lot of people aren't doing church. And so it's kind of what we like to say is every June, we have a family chat around here. And today we're going to have a family chat and we're going to address some things and I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to be real blunt with you. And I'm going to tell you the state of some things around here. And what you do with them is upon you. And if we have to shut down certain things because you don't want to step up, then we'll shut down certain things. I'm not the preacher who's going to guilt you and beat you up over the head. And I'm sure not the preacher who's going to make everything run because people in the church are too lazy to serve. So today we're going to talk about serving. We're going to talk about how we're to be an example or follow the example of Jesus that he lays out. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The greatest thing you can do to live a life of blessing is to serve others. I have learned, and it doesn't make sense to me, Because we think in the natural, but God operates in the supernatural. The more I give away, the more blessed I am. The more of my time that I give to others, it's amazing to me how my time just falls into place. When I go through a standpoint, I'll be real honest with you, I've kind of been in a selfish time point with my time lately. I'm starting a couple of new things. It's my busy season with festivals. But I've learned that like, when I'm selfish with my time, it doesn't seem to be enough time. When I give my time away to others, it just sort of falls into place. Well, when I give my talent away, and we all have talent, we all have different talent. Maybe your talent's speaking, maybe your talent is building, maybe your talent is making, I don't know what it is today. But when we give our talent away, it seems like there's more opportunities that come along in my life for me to use my talent. The part nobody likes to talk about because people get funny when you talk about money in church. But I've learned the more money I give away... For whatever reason, the more money I have, I don't understand it. But when I'm greedy with it, this has a way of going away. Like like when I'm greedy, all of a sudden the refrigerator stops working. When, When I'm greedy with it, there's a leak in the house. When I'm greedy with it, something breaks. When I'm being generous and I'm giving things away and I'm blessing others and I'm using what God has given me to serve others, I live that blessed life. That fulfilled life. That life of making a difference. I can tell as my life goes, one of the barometers, one of the barometers is my time alone with God. One of my other barometers is my living life selfish. You might find this surprising. Because you see me on Sunday and you see me on social media and you're like, man, Gary is such a humble, godly guy. All he cares about is others. 
He's always so generous and so giving. But I've got to tell you something. Did you know that I can be a really selfish a-hole? I, I know it's shocking. I know I play the gimmick good on, on Facebook where you don't see that. But, but deep down, man, I am a selfish person. I care about what I care about. I care about what you care about. As long as what you care about is what I care about. I can be selfish. But one of the barometers is when I'm serving. I've noticed when, that when my servanthood is up, when I'm living my life to return to others, it's funny how that selfishness goes away. Even if I start helping others for the wrong reason. There's times you do it because the preachers made you feel bad about doing it. But your heart begins to grow in the midst of it. As your pastor, I'm going to be real honest with you, I have failed you talking about this subject. I keep every sermon I've ever preached in categories. All i got to do is type in the category on my computer and it lets me know how many times I've preached it the last time I preached on it. I've preached one sermon in nine years on serving around here, and that was seven years ago. I've let you down in that area. And as a result of letting you down, I'm going to be real, real blunt with you. We have become a very selfish church. We've become a very inward-focused church. We like to pride ourselves that we're not that way, but we are. We show up on Sunday if we have nothing else to do. We sit on our blessed assurance, and we thank magical elves... Now we're in church, magical angels. Make everything happen around here. We show up every week and we think, man, little magical angels showed up and they cleaned the building where I can have a clean place to come worship on Sunday. We show up every Sunday and we think, man, all these tables that I moved, they magically lifted, elevated, and moved back into their place. Man, magically, somebody showed up and angels made coffee every Sunday morning where I can knock that hangover off where I have to listen to Gary. Man, magically, like manna from heaven, as Gary preached a few weeks ago, donuts fall from the sky right onto the cafe table. Magically, somebody's there to greet me. It's amazing. Oh, the big one magically, someone operates on the other side of that wall and they provide an environment for my children not to be babysat, but where they can learn about Jesus and a God who loves them at their level. Where they don't have to become adults and return to church. They can grow up in a church knowing that God loves them just the way they are. And he created them, made an impact in their life. But I'm going to be real honest with you today. I'm meeting tomorrow about shutting down the kids area. Because there's nobody that wants to serve. Joe Owens has served over in that area now for almost six years. And he's tired. And he's wore out. And he's asked and he's asked and he's asked and he's asked, hey, can you give us one month out of the year? 
or one week out of the month. And everybody gets all excited and does it for about two months. And then they can't get in the room with their child or their grandchild, so they pout and quit serving. Or they can't be around the age group they like and they quit serving. Or they have to be here 20 minutes early because, man, people check in their kids here now, it's not for me. So Joe said, I don't know what to do. And I looked at him this week and I said, here's what you do, we shut it down. How are we going to shut down the kids' area? Because we're going to shut it down. Unless some people realize it's not about them. I want you to look to your right today. I want you to look to your left today. There ought to not be an area in this church, whether it's kids' area, greeting, cafe, where every role is not filled. Our days of being a church of 20 people are over. Our days of being a church of 30 people and there's not enough people to fill the spots is over. Really what we have is a group of people, and I don't want to say this in a bad way because I don't think it's your heart. I don't think your heart is to be selfish. I just think your heart is sometimes we take things for granted. Because, man, this is a generous group of people. You're an incredible group of people. You love this community unlike any group I've ever seen in my life. But I'm going to be real honest with you. We're not following the example of Jesus when it comes to using the skill set that we have. I get that it's weird. You want to be in the service. I get that. A lot of churches do two services just for that reason. Serve one and tend one. That's why we don't ever ask anybody to serve every week. But Jesus got down on his hands and knees and began to wash the disciples' feet. And he's the example for us. I I love this. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do. Here's what he's separating here. He's separating the difference between knowing and doing. A lot of us know there's needs. And they say on average 3% of the people serve the church. So I'd say about 3% are willing to do something about what they know. It's not enough to know. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Your works do not get you into heaven. Let me make that very clear. Christ did everything he, you needed when he died on the cross for you to get there. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven. The good news for you is you can show up here week after week and sit on your blessed assurance and you can be like a sponge and soak it in and do nothing. And as long as you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, man, you're going you're gonna to make it. But you're not going to make a difference in this world until you take your time, your talent, your treasure, and you give back. You learn in return. You're never going to live that blessed life until you pour in to others. But I don't want to, Gary. I get it. I don't want to either. What did I tell you last night? I don't want to go preach tomorrow. I'm tired. I'm wore out. It's been busy time for me. I don't want to show up. Guess what? I got here today. I saw grumpy Sandra. And I started smiling. And instantly I'm in a good mood. Glad that I came. That's the power of serving. You get tired in serving. You get weary in serving. But those who do the things of Jesus live the blessed life as a result. I I think it's awesome Jesus gives us some things. First thing I see as I read this text is Jesus was aware that there was a need to serve. 
There was a need to serve. You need to understand something that was going on here. There were some internal battles. You ever had any internal battles in your tribe? There were some internal battles going on with the disciples. Ego had flared up among the disciples. Who's his favorite? Who, who gets to spend the most time with him? I had breakfast with him the other day. When was the last time you had breakfast with him? I'm his favorite. I'm going to sit on his right hand. I'm going to sit on his left hand. And they were bickering among themselves. They weren't doing it around Jesus. You ever walk up on a conversation, you know you know what they're talking about. Doc, you ever walk up to the vet and all the nurses are complaining about you? You know they're complaining. You know they are. Not that anybody would complain about you, Doc. I'm just saying. But you walk up and you know they are and they just suddenly stop talking. Happens to me all the time around here. Like I hear the word a and I know they're talking about I'm like, what? Oh, nothing. My neighbor. Oh, okay. Jesus walking. He knows what's going on. He knows that they've worried about their ego and their standing. So he comes along like, like the man is and says, hey, BTW, I'm the boss around here. You call me teacher and you call me leader, and rightfully so, because that's who I am. But let me flip the script on what it means to be the greatest. He said, the greatest to be the least. He said, I'm about to get down and wash your feet. That's how great I am. I'm not sitting back waiting for you to wash my feet. Let me tell you, I, I'm the greatest. I've been going to the church forever. I don't even have any kids. But you know what, Gary? I got a heart. I, I'm willing to serve over there once a week. You know what? I'm willing to show up and help out in the cafe where the same three people don't have to do it week after week after week. Because they might like enjoying the service. You know what? I get this, because it's hard for dudes sometimes. Dudes are like macho dudes from the church. Let me tell you, we got an awesome thing right here, macho dudes. It's called carry a gun. Put an earpiece in your ear and work security around here. Every guy should want to do that. Not that we've ever had to shoot anybody, but the opportunity that could arise at any moment. In church, sign me up. You know, Gary, I'm new in my faith and I feel like I need to teach him. But you know, I, during the week I'm wide open, I'd be glad to come down and move the chairs back or, you know. Well, you've got to be really brave to enter in the bathroom because I don't know what you people eat before Saturday nights. It's amazing. Amazing. Just being a servant. He, he knew they needed an example in the midst of the ego. He was aware that there was a need I, I'm aware that there's a need right now that not to beat you up about it, that maybe we just need a reminder around here that this church is volunteer-led from top to bottom. Top to bottom is volunteer-led. I remember back in the early days, Phil would travel for work and he'd pay his own plane ticket to fly back. It cost him money to lead worship here. You know how lucky we are for that? I don't even want to tell our band members this because they, they might leave. To my knowledge, we're the only church our style that doesn't pay the musicians to do it every Sunday. They do it because they believe in the vision of this place. Because they love doing it for you. That's why I don't yell out like I, when I want to just stab party right in the jugular. I have to remember he's a volunteer. That's been with me for freaking over 10 years. You can't stab him. I can just visualize stabbing him. Man, volunteers. You know, Joe brings his work truck to work because he works on call for Cobb EMC or Cobb Power or whatever it's called. 
knowing that any moment he could get called out, but he takes time out of his schedule to show up. Oh, by the way, Joe's kids are grown up. He don't have any kids over there. Someone said, I feel like Joe gets on edge sometimes. You go work with all them kids. No offense to some of y'all. I'll include myself in this. I know you think your kids are perfect. They're not. I've been times I've walked over there and they've got Joe hogtied to the office chair. Something stuffed in his mouth and they've just taken over over there. Someone messaged Christine. I, I, I'm going to regret saying this, but I'm going to say it because I'm no holds barred today. We won't be there tomorrow. I don't like that so-and-so serving over there. Let me tell you why so-and-so's serving over there. Because she's willing to do it every single solitary week, and you're not. She don't meet your standards? Step it up and you go do it. You know the amazing thing about a sporting event is the loudest applause, but the loudest boos come from the stands. Not the people on the field. The people on the field are too busy at war. They're too busy winning to complain. That's why it's called a Monday morning quarterback. It's easy for me. Just look at my shirt. Shirt different color. I'm so out of shape. I'm sweating everywhere. It's easy for me to talk about how that guy should have played on Sunday. You know what I should have done. I ain't on the field. It's easy to complain about how things operate, but you not want to give enough of yourself. Jesus knew there was a need. He was aware the timing was right in this issue. He, he knew that he had gathered everyone together and his time was coming to an end. He knew that he needed to give that last lesson to them before he left because he knew that as they entered into the world without him to spread the gospel that the only way they were going to win the world to Jesus was by serving others, by doing what no one else wanted to do. I went to the funeral home last night, and the guy at the funeral home, I love him to death, he said, man, I, he tells me, I think he forgets that he tells me this literally every time I do a funeral there. You know, I tell everybody, they might not like you. There's a lot of people who don't like you. You know that, Gary? I'm like, yeah, I know. You tell me every... If I was to ever forget, man, I wouldn't forget when I come up here because you tell me. He said, oh, yeah. But I tell them, man, there ain't nobody that comes up here and loves on people during a funeral like you do. He said, I tell them, there ain't no church, that's you guys, not me, that meets the needs in this community like that group of people. And I said, I told a guy the other day, I said... You're more worried about the fact that he says the word damn and wears flip-flops than the fact that they're feeding people week after week after week. But that's what religion does. Religion worries about appearances. Christ followers worry about following the example of Christ that he served. Jesus knew, man, my timing is limited. I got to get this lesson in. I got to teach them before I'm gone, the most important, I'm going to save the best for last. The lesson I don't want them to forget is serve other people because there's a need. 
I remember when I first became a Christ follower. Man, I was hell on wheels. I did whatever it took in that. I just wanted to be around the past. I wanted to be around the church and the pastor. And like, I became like, this is a pastor. It's more of a traditional church. He would preach on Sunday and he'd do revivals all throughout the week. And I became like his little driver boy. I'd drive him everywhere, set up his tapes, set up his books. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Rowe. You know, whatever he needed. Because I wanted to learn. He'd go to the hospital at 2 o'clock. I'd say, call me, I'll ride with you. I'd get up. No one had to go to work the next day. I'd drive at 2 o'clock. I wanted to learn how to deal with people in the hospital. I wanted, I wanted to learn how to deal with people. I wanted to learn how to serve others. I'll never forget the first time I ever went to a hospital when someone died, it was Grady. And we get down there, it's about 1.30 in the morning, a person in the church, their daughter had died in a car wreck. And they were on their way down there and they wanted to see their daughter. And the pastor actually said, can we clean the body up before they get here? And they said, no, nah, there's no one here at this hour that does that. He looked at me and said, I need you to go grab some rags and clean that body up. I said, do what? He said, you need to clean that body up. It ain't about you. Now, I'm not trying to be funny here. It's going to be funny. I'm literally cleaning up a body and puking in a bucket. It was horrible. I, I remember thinking, what am I doing? Like I got into ministry to clean up dead bodies? I'll never forget that mom and dad walking and seeing their daughter and knowing in my head they didn't have to see what she looked like before. Impacted everything for me. You have to be a servant. And I paid my dues and I got put over the college ministry and the college ministry had seven people and church was about 400 people and within about six months the college ministry was running about 700 people. We were double the size of the church. The pastor got leukemia. There was three of us on staff. This is a church that had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service. If you know how that works, Sunday morning service is the big service, Sunday night service is the medium service, and Wednesday night's the service that, man, hardly nobody comes to. Youth pastor had 30 teenagers. I had 700-something college kids. The assistant pastor led a Sunday school class with like 10 people. I know you find this surprising, but I was young at this time. I got a little arrogant. And I thought, man, guess I'll be preaching on Sunday morning now. So he gets better. He set us all down before he went through like it's called bone marrow translation. He was going to be out of it for a long time. Looked at the social page, he said, you're going to preach on Sunday morning. And at first I was like, what? But I was like, oh, he's, got, he's been doing this long. He's older. I was like 22 at the 20 at the time, I think. I understand. He's going to give me Sunday night. The youth pastor said, you're going to do Sunday night. Gary, I'm going to bring in another preacher and you'll rotate every other week on Wednesday night with him. And I was like, what? No, 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 you must be mistaken. I run a college ministry that runs double what you run and you're going to put me on every other Wednesday? Uh-uh. When I got prideful and I got mad and I got arrogant... And over that six months of doing that, that college ministry went from 700 people to 600 people to 500 people to 400 people to about 150 people. I remember him calling me in one day and said, what's wrong with the area? I said, I don't, I don't know. He said, what's wrong with the area is you're mad. I hate people that just know so much. He was wise. He said, you're mad because you're not preaching on Sunday morning and this is why you're not preaching on Sunday morning. I want you to get your heart right. 
I remember I was upset. I was crying. I apologized, and I got back focused, and it went from 100, 200, 400. Six months later, so it had been a year now, he comes to me and says, you know why I didn't give you Sunday morning? And I said, no. He said, I had a group of people call me in Ames, Iowa. Ames, Iowa is where Iowa State University is. And he says, they wanted to start a church. And I asked if I knew anybody, and I was going to send you out there. And I was waiting for the pieces to fall into place. And I didn't want everyone to lose Sunday morning because they had already lost me. And I didn't want you to be in there for two or three months and then move away. And so I put you on Wednesday knowing that you were going to transition out eventually. He said, that kind of stalled out, and it's taken a little bit longer, but a year in, they're ready for you to go, and I think you ought to go start this church. He knew things I never knew, but my pride and my ego almost cost me that because I was too good to serve every other Wednesday night. I wasn't living that blessed life. Jesus knew the timing was right. So here's my question today. How's your heart to serve? Because I'm going to be real, real honest with you. This church happens because people serve. Let me tell you something else a lot of pastors won't tell you. I have zero issue shutting something down. I'll shut the food pantry down if no one wants to serve because I'm not doing it. I'll shut the kids' area down. I know me and Phil will be here, so we'll do Sunday morning every week. But I don't have a problem shutting those down. I give the church all I can give it as far as my time goes. So I'm not running the kids' area. Christine, the other day, she said, I'll step up. I said, you're not stepping up in the kids' area. You show up every week and you clean. And you do this and you do that. So no, we're not going to do it just to keep it going. So how's your heart to serve? Because last time I checked, we're the body of Christ. Body takes fingers. Some of you are the fingers. Some of you are the ears. You hear everything that's going on, mainly because you're nosy, but you hear everything that's going on. Some of you are the feet. Some of you are the nose, mouth. I mean, y'all got your part. Some, some of you, a lot of you, we got a lot of asses around here. A lot of that in this body. But it takes all of us to become one. A person can function with no arm, and they can function well. But they can't function like they could if they had two arms. So it takes everyone doing their part. And let me make this very clear. I don't want you feeling guilty today and going to serve next door unless you have a heart for kids. Nothing worse you could do. But some of you have a heart for kids, then you're not using your talent. I don't want you to be a greeter if you're unfriendly. My favorite greeter in the church is Bob. Bob's the guy that goes to our church is blind. We have a blind man. I told him one day, I said, Bob, I said, you got a fine-looking woman standing next to you. You don't even know it. He said, well, i got 20-20 vision in my hands. I said, that's the kind of creepy greeters we have around here, but that works. Only church I know has got a blind greeter. Being a servant. I get it. I'm not asking you to do it every week. Guess what? If everyone stepped up, you wouldn't have to do it every week. If everyone stepped up, you'd probably have to do it about every seven or eight weeks. But when you don't step up, guess what happens? Someone else does. And when they do it, you take it for granted and eventually they burn out. Every one of you ought to send Joe a direct message as we tell him how much you appreciate him. If you got kids, you couldn't pay me to do that job. I was a youth pastor for three weeks. Three weeks. And they said, no. 
I'm going to close it out right here. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to notice three things real quickly. The first thing is he got up. He got up. He didn't just see a need. He saw the need and got up. He saw the need and was willing to take the first step in meeting the need. You know what happens when you're the pastor? Here's what people do all the time. Hey, pastor, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. Man, I notice there's this, this, and this. You know what the church ought to do? What they really mean is, Gary, you know what you ought to do? I tell people, you come to me with an idea, it's your idea. Do something with it. He got up. He didn't ignore the need. He didn't act like the need was non-existent. He saw the need and he got up to meet the need. The second thing is he stooped down. This is huge to me. He stooped down. He was willing to do whatever it took to meet the need. In this case, they had dirty feet. He was willing to get on his hands and feet and wash someone else's feet. He saw the need. He was willing to meet the need. It's not enough to see the need and get up. That's huge. I'm glad you see the need. Wow, you got eyes. Awesome. But are you willing to step down and do what it takes to meet the need, even if it's not necessarily what you want to do? You want to do it where you can be a blessing to others. You want to serve where others can come in a comfortable environment and meet Jesus like you did. He got up, he stooped down, he was willing to do whatever it took. And then lastly, he got to work. He just started washing feet. Recently, we got a new person that goes to church here. I love him to death. He's working security today, matter of fact. And he calls me and says, hey, I just blew the parking lot at the church but I wanted to do this. Is there anything at the church that, that will allow me to do that? I was like, you blew the parking lot at the church? Like a dummy. I said, why? He's like, well, it needed to be done. Oh. So you saw a need and you did it? You didn't call and ask? You didn't call and let me put you up on a pedestal and wave your flag and congratulate you? You just did it because you saw a need? Shocker. David and Doug and Scott... We're in the position of putting them in the position of elders around here. And we brought up this person. I said, well, I, I said, they're really new here. It's not time yet. I said, they need to be added eventually. This kind of behavior continues. That <laughs> means a servant. We don't do deacons around here, but you know the word deacon literally means servant? The problem with the church is we turn deacons into shot callers. They were never called to be shot callers. They're called to be servants. He got to work. I love coming up here during the week and Doug Knight's walking. I'm like, what are you doing? Saw that light need to be changed. You, you just saw the light need to be changed and you're doing it? Yeah. I can't tell you how many times Denise Holloway calls my wife and says, I, I know your week's busy. Can I, can I go clean the church for you this week? So I'm, I'm not beating you up today. Please know that. 
but we're having a family chat. And sometimes family chats are uncomfortable. And I'm just asking you, where's your heart? Someone came to me about a year ago and said, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to work in the kids' area, but I've been very successful. Could I just write a check and we could hire someone to work in the kids' area? I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Some people have the gift of giving. That's their gift. Awesome. Knock it out, baby. I, I don't know where your heart is to serve, but I'm telling you, if we're going to be the church that I believe this church can be, I want you to look around today. Do you know that 37% of the church has closed their doors in the last year? They say the average church in America right now has six, I just read the stats this week, 67% of their pre-COVID attendance. We're operating at about 110%. This is not normal. Every week someone's like, look at all the new faces. I said, yeah, don't run them off. It worries me because some of the new faces are normal-looking people. Like, I'm not used to normal-looking people coming to the church here. You know, no offense to all y'all, I'm not, but you understand what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, you can just feel that God's getting ready to do something. You know how I can feel, so I can feel something, God's getting ready to do something? Because Christine and I are ready to kill each other. Anytime God's getting ready to move, the devil starts attacking. But it's going to take us being the body. I'm never going to be the person to beat you up and guilt you. But I'm also never going to be the person who doesn't speak the truth to you. And I'm telling you there's some needs right now that need to be met if we're going to continue to meet the needs of this community. And it's going to take all of us stepping up to do that. I want you to pray this week about where your place is. Some of you don't need to pray. You already know. If we're going to go to the next level as a church, we've got to go to the next level in our servanthood. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.